Well, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to the third chapter of Ephesians. We are returning to the book of Ephesians, having tied up the uh, Advent series on the songs of Christmas, now moving back to our series in Ephesians, which will continue for the next few months. Uh, we are, as of, as of today, we are halfway through Ephesians. How exciting. And so uh, you can find our text in the navy blue Bibles in your pew. It starts at the bottom of page 1160. It continues on to page, for you math majors, 1161. All right? So we're beginning at verse 14 to the conclusion of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And again we say, thanks be to God. So this Sunday, as I said, we return to our series on the book of Ephesians. And as you just heard, our text this morning is Paul talking about what he prays for. This is the second time Paul's done this explicitly in the book of Ephesians, where he kind of breaks from uh, the, the, if you like, the theological point he's making. Of course, the prayer itself is still thick with theology. Um, but, but Paul is telling them what he's praying for and working through why he's praying for it. And I dare say that this sort of thing then, by apostolic example, should shape our prayers. You might recall that in the Gospels, the, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, and He gave to them the words that we just prayed together called the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> and if you've been a Christian really for any length of time, then you already know this reality, that some people are really good at prayer. Okay? Now, to, to some extent, I mean the act of praying in public. Uh, you probably know people who, when... Maybe you sit down around the table uh, to pray before a meal or uh, ask a blessing, say, before, before Christmas dinner or something like that. Some people just tend to be good at it. And by good at it, I mean extemporaneously. They don't have something in front of them, say, that they're reading. And other people, well, I mean, you know, if there are those who are, for whom it seems really easy and effortless, there are also those who struggle with it. And then I also mean there are those for whom... Lots and lots of praying comes rather naturally who just have a gift to be intercessors at, uh, at various or at, at all the times. Uh, in fact, I remember when I, was, when I was in youth group when we lived in, in Virginia, uh, funnily enough, I think we were, we were actually preparing to do a mission trip to Mexico. Uh, was, I mean, it was a much longer drive from Virginia to Mexico than it is to Louisiana to Mexico unless you guys take bikes. Uh, which I don't recommend, but, um, but I, rem- I recall once we were, we were gathered to pray and one of the young men in our, in our youth group uh, was asked to pray um, 
because we were leaving on the trip in the next few days. And he was not, he, he, he was not on the same planet in which, you know, it, it, where there was an expectation where he would be asked to pray out loud. And you could see like the, the panic, the sheer panic on his face as he knew he was going to have to lead in prayer for the next minute. And I'll just, it just made an indelible mark on me, y'all. He bowed his head and he said, Lord, thank you for being there when we need you and for not being there when we don't. <laughs> And you just, I like your, everybody's heart just kind of sank for him. Not, we weren't ready to like throw him out on a heresy trial. We just knew that he was terribly nervous and that's all that was coming out. Uh, and so public prayer can be really challenging. Prayer can be really challenging. Prayer can be hard. And I think sometimes we assume that you're just sort of either good at it or you're not. And you should be able to just be good at it kind of naturally without anything in front of you or not. And I think that's wrong. I think the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to pray is enough information right there to know that Jesus warmly welcomes that same request from us. Lord, teach us to pray. And even give us words to pray with, which is what he did. It's a good reminder as well. It's good to keep in mind, not to add to the pressure, but simply to address the reality that all public prayer is teaching. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But all public prayer is, is teaching in the sense that you are saying things to be true about you, true about God, true about His people. Uh, the way that you pray tells people about your God, right? And so in prayer, we can learn about who God is. And so, in, so it is an apostolic prayer as an example to us. Paul's prayer, we can learn how to pray and we learn about God and us. And we can see a few things just from the way Paul talks about prayer. If you look starting at verse 14, right? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, first of all, isn't it interesting that Paul begins by mentioning bodily posture in prayer? He didn't have to do that. He could say, for this reason, I pray. He specifically says, for this reason, I bow my knees in prayer. There is, this is something I think we tend not to think about so much. And I'm not saying that for prayer to be authentic or real or, or heard by God or whatever, it has to be done uh, while kneeling. But it is interesting and I think instructive that Paul specifically mentions the fact that he, uh, that he bows his knees in prayer before the Father. The fact that we don't think about that so much I think only confirms that we're modern weirdos who assume that our bodies and souls are not tied together. I I mentioned a a Sunday or two ago that uh, this year I I, I again read through the Screwtape letters and um, I found this passage to be especially applicable here. Screwtape, so this is a senior demon, fictional, a senior demon talking to a younger demon. And he says, at the very least, they that is humans can be persuaded that bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. So this is the demon saying, you can convince them that their bodily posture makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. I remember a little more than a year ago, Marissa and I attended a church in Knoxville while we were on vacation, and this church had a three-part confession of sin in their liturgy. It was a, it was a Reformed church. You, you sat for silent confession, and then the pastor instructed us to kneel. 
Now, they didn't have kneelers, you know, the things that some of you know what those are, you, uh, like in the pew in front of you, a little cushion you pull out. They didn't have kneelers, so the pastor instructed us to, to turn around, to turn our backs to the pulpit, and then, and then face the, facing the back of the pew or the chairs, I, I can't remember which, to, to, to kneel down and to pray. And so everyone turned around, faced the backs of their, of their chairs, and, and prayed together. Not a, not a written, scripted prayer, but a prayer spoken by just people as they were kind of grouped and clustered there together. And the pastor said this. He said, in a moment you're going to turn around and kneel down and confess sin to God. And I especially charge husbands and fathers to confess the sins of your family to God starting with your own. Okay. And so, on my knees, next to my wife, I confess my sin. Loud enough for her to hear me. (laughs) I just couldn't help but wonder a little at what a weekly practice like that might do for the health of marriages and families. After a period of time, the pastor said, Now, everyone rise to your feet and hear the assurance of pardon, the forgiveness of sins. So we stood, raised our hands, we heard the voice of Jesus in the Scriptures telling us we were forgiven. And I thought, wow, you know, in a lot, of, a lot of American churches, man, people will whine and complain if you make them sit down and stand up too much. It's just too much movement and motion, you know? <laughs> Paul specifically says he bows his knees in prayer before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. The Greek literally says, from whom all fatherhood has its name. The whole concept of fatherhood is rooted in God the Father who hears us when we pray, who calls us to ask. When asking is seemingly fruitless, He calls us to seek. When seeking seems fruitless, He calls us to knock like the persistent widow who doesn't stop knocking until the door is opened. And so what I want you to see this morning, just to to begin, just in these two short verses at the start, Paul has already taught us some things about prayer by simply telling us how he prays and to whom he prays. That's all he's given us so far, and we've already learned quite a lot. Paul reminds us here, by the way, that prayer is Trinitarian. If you've got your Bible open to the passage, you note verse 14, he asks the Father that these Ephesian Christians might be strengthened through the Spirit, verse 16, so that Christ, verse 17, may dwell in their hearts through faith. And this is why when we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We, we ask the Father with the Spirit's prompting and leading and help that Christ indeed may dwell in our hearts through faith. Do you, do you now, do you, I hope the picture is a little clearer. I made that claim near the start that, that public prayer is a form of teaching. Right? When you lead people in prayer, you're teaching them what God is like. A lot of prayer meetings, understanding this, have helped people to pray by giving them examples. And sometimes there are prayer meetings where, honestly, I mean, not to say too much of it, but, but the glory of God gets obscured because the person praying is more interested in putting on a public performance. Right? In so doing, they're still teaching, by the way. But, but what they're teaching is not, not good. So, so let's see what Paul prays for. In one word, you might have noticed, in one word what Paul prays for is power. And the way I wanted us to get at this this morning is to see that Paul is praying for power or for strength 
of at least three kinds. Okay? There's a strength within, a power, a power and strength within, a strength to grasp or to hold fast to something, and a strength to hope. Okay? So let's begin at verse 16 with strength within. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be, here it is, strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we'll stop there. Paul's first petition in this prayer is that his readers would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. Now, inner being is a weird phrase, isn't it? To to get a clearer picture of it, I want to take you over to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll, We'll come back to our text, but 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to what Paul says. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, by the way, in Greek, same word as inner being. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think that's especially appropriate as we just prayed for a whole lot of afflictions and burdens. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul here is talking about troubles, afflictions, difficulties, hardships. We know about those. We face uh, what I'd just like to call, just for the purpose of the sermon this morning, predictable and unpredictable afflictions. Right? Cancer is an unpredictable affliction. Nobody really sees it coming. A sudden death of a relative taken too soon. Losing your job, right? Unpredictable afflictions that nobody expects to happen. But then there are predictable afflictions, like, for example, the aches and pains that come with old age, seasonal illnesses, heartache over losses that maybe you knew were coming, but they still hurt anyway. Those are predictable afflictions. Everybody knows that they're going to come given enough time. But whatever kind of affliction it is, whether it's expected or unexpected, it still, in a way, represents, or at the very least reminds us of, this image Paul gives us of a wasting away outer man. Our outer self, our our bodies. What you find that the, the older you get, the older man wastes away, and, well, the inner man gets less restrained. I mean, if you are strong and healthy and, 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 and young, right, it is easier to be self-controlled. If you're navigating vision problems, hearing problems, chronic pain, constant headaches, something like that, say, you're going to find that you have fewer resources to, to say, love your neighbors well, to maintain your, your patience, your steadiness, your joy. Now, it's still a responsibility to which God calls you, but it is going to be harder. This is why Paul means to give hope to those who are suffering. We are wasting away, yet we are being renewed day by day. The afflictions that God puts before us are the ways, are the ways that the inner man is made strong. I know they hurt, and I know, God bless you, you didn't ask for them. They are how the inner man is made strong. We want to use our affliction sometime as the reason why we can't be expected to grow spiritually. God says no. That is not a barrier to your growth. That is how my children grow. 
We tend to place ultimate value on, say, feeling safe, secure, unbothered, unafflicted. Jesus is more interested in growing mature believers who are steady when the world is busy setting its hair on fire. Jesus means to grow a people who are mature, hard to frighten, hard to trouble, hard to offend, joyful, hopeful, who refuse to be cynical. Now, do we want fewer troubles? Of course we do. We want fewer troubles. God, meanwhile, wants to make us into the sort of people less affected by our trouble. So what's the purpose of the strength within? What's the purpose of the the power in our inner being that Paul's praying for? I mean, you know, is it bad to want power? Well, no. It's bad to lust after power. It's bad to chase power so that power itself can be your security in this world. Simon Magus in the book of Acts wants power for himself, right? And he's condemned by it. But Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, when you hear that, it might throw you a bit because you're thinking, wait, he's writing to Christians. I thought Christ already dwelt in their hearts through faith, and he does. The, 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 way to, to, the way to get at that possible confusion is that the word, think of it this way, the word dwell there is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Let me try to explain. When Marissa and I moved into the manse on Ida Street, it was, at that moment, our home. Right? It had very few of our things in it. Right? A lot of our things were in boxes. And... A lot, a lot, a lot of renovation had been done. Bless God. Thanks, y'all. It was our home the day we moved in. But since then, Marissa has done no small amount of work to make it our home. (laughs) Now, it was our home before. It's even more our home now. So indeed, over the years, as Christ dwells in us, a lot more renovation happens. He dwells in our hearts. And He dwells more, as it were, in our hearts as the years go. As we ask for it in prayer, as Paul does here. Paul understands that one of the greatest realities about Jesus Christ and His Gospel. You could put that one up, Amir. That's the next one, I think. One of the greatest realities about Jesus Christ and His Gospel is that it has the power to change ordinary people into disciples who love Jesus, who are not afraid to amen everything He says, and who are ready to die when he's done with them. Okay? This, is, this, is the, this is the power that Paul's talking about. Dwells in your hearts by faith, right? So this gets at an important idea. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, Christianity <clears throat> is a lot more than creeds and confessions, right? Somebody comes maybe from a more, uh, um, uh, a younger or, or what we call lower church tradition, uh, you know, that, that maybe doesn't make as much use of, of confessions or, or creeds. They might say, you know, Christianity is a lot more than creeds and confessions. I would say it absolutely is more than that. I don't think it's less than that, but it certainly is more than that. Flat agreement with a series of propositions does not make one a Christian. Faith in Jesus Christ is what makes one a Christian. And the Christian life is one of growing in the strength that Christ Himself puts in your inner being by His Holy Spirit. 
And the teaching ministry of the church can equip you with all you need to know to be a Christian. But if there is no prayer to apply that knowledge to your own heart so that you will be strengthened with the power of God in your inner being, your faith will be as flat as day-old soda. So God gives us strength, power. That's what Paul prays for. The power to be strengthened in our inner being. The next one, next point, the strength to, to grasp. To grasp what? We'll look back at the second half of verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, I mean, all those words there, that you may comprehend with all the saints, breadth, length, height, depth, to know the love of Christ. So, I mean, I get the sense Paul's just grabbing words there to try and get at this big picture that's even beyond his own educated verbiage to express. But the second thing he prays for the Ephesian Christians is that being rooted and grounded in love, that's so important, this, this body of Christians rooted and grounded in love would be given the strength to comprehend something. Comprehend what? Well, it's honestly hard to describe. Essentially, Paul wants them to comprehend with all the saints the bigness of the love of Jesus and all the fullness of God. How's that for you? The grandeur of the love of Jesus and the fullness of God Himself. This is why theology, right, the study of who God is, is not the exclusive work or property of pastors or theologians, right? So theology is not the exclusive work of theologians. Theologians just have a bizarre idea they should get paid for it, right? It is the broad calling of all Christians to know the things of God. Notice theology, though, is meant, this is so cool. I'm so glad Paul put this in his prayer. Theology is meant, all, knowing all the fullness of God, right, comprehending that, happens in the context of the church. Did you hear it? Being rooted and grounded in love. So you've got a people loving one another. They have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Not by your lonesome, but with all the saints. Right? With all the saints we comprehend these things about the love of Christ and the fullness of God. There is, there is here such wisdom, such important correction for our individualistic age. One of the worst things, listen, dear saints, one of the worst things you can do for your spiritual health is to cloister yourself away from the church, away from God's people, away from any spiritual authority, and get God figured out on your own private time. That is how most heresies and cults get started. Right? Just me and my Bible and YouTube. Lord have mercy. It is the inveterate arrogance that fuels most false teaching. We are called to learn together, to grow together, to share and to pray together, to come to the table together, to be corrected together. Now every false teacher, <laughs> every false teacher is always open to correction. By which they mean, come at me one-on-one. -on -one. I will step out of my isolated cloister, cloister to face you. Um, but, but not within the context of a body. I'm actually speaking of a more humble approach 
that considers the work of the Holy Spirit across the centuries to illuminate the path for God's people, as well as the present-day friendships, mentors, and authorities God places around you today. But Paul's second petition here is that they would understand, that they would comprehend, that they would know, that they would grasp the love of Christ and be filled with all God's fullness. Once more, he's not saying they don't know that Jesus loves them. He's not saying they don't have God, the fullness of God. He's not saying you don't have God. He's saying they must grow and be growing in their understanding. Grow and be growing in their grasp. Grow and be growing in their their delight. Please understand and hear me clearly. There are not, there are not two classes of Christian. This is a, I'm I'm referring to the, it's, it's a false teaching called higher life theology, where you have your ordinary Christians down here, right? And they're, they're really kind of just trying to keep it together. They, they don't read their Bible as much as they should. They don't pray as much as they should. They're kind of running on like a half a tank. And then you have your super Christians up here who are basically like walking six inches above the ground all the time. Uh, and, and, and they're really super gifted, really super in touch with God. And the rest of us just wish we could be like them. There is one class of Christian. It's called disciple. The word means learner. You will never fully grasp the love of Jesus. You'll be a learner, though. You will never fully comprehend the love that Jesus has for the nations. You'll be a learner, though. You will never fully comprehend the love, the, the, the full scope, excuse me, the full scope of His power as his kingdom covers the earth but you will be a learner you'll never really come around to getting it so much that you're finally finally right part of the in crowd you will never be filled with all the fullness of god such that you can cease seeking after it because at that point by the way if you didn't need to seek after anymore you would be god but you can grow in it You can grasp it a bit better today than you did yesterday. You can be more steadied by His promises this year than you were last year. Paul's running assumption in his prayer for these Christians is that they do have further yet to go. So he prays, not that they would finally get around to loving Christ, but that they would would grow in their grasp, in their love, in their understanding. I'm actually straying a bit from my text, though, because this is not a prayer simply that we might love Christ more, though that's good. This is a prayer, I mean, if you look back at the language, that we would have the power to better grasp His love for us. So that's not merely an exercise of uh, intellect or a prayer about my intellect. This is a prayer about power. I mean, I, I told you at the start of the sermon, most fundamentally, this is a prayer about power. And the best way to summarize the working of this power in one word, I mentioned it earlier, is maturity. Listen to this from from D.A. Carson. It'll be on the screen as well. Carson says, to put the matter simply, Paul wants us to have the power to grasp the love of God in Christ Jesus to the end that we might be mature. There it is. To be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is simply a Pauline way of saying, Paul's way of saying, to be spiritually mature. Now, this has real profound implications because it means that spiritual maturity is not bound up in an amount of knowledge or in epiphanies 
or in, truth be told, a seminary education. Spiritual maturity is bound up in the God-given power to grasp the love of God and all that He is for us in Jesus Christ. If you want something this morning to learn, something this morning to know, here is what we all must know. We must know that maturity, Christian maturity, is knowing, to use Paul's words, the love that surpasses knowledge. Did you get that? It's in your text. He says that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. If you want to know something, know about the love beyond your knowing. And that means that healthy spirituality, healthy Christianity, is not knowing about God, but about knowing God, all His fullness, knowing His love for you. There are baptized people who today are very far from God because they collected a lot of data but did not know God. We already know this, actually. We know that, uh, we know that the importance of love. What I mean is, it, we know that if a child, for example, does not know that they are loved, especially by their father, it's going to do a serious number on their emotional maturity and emotional health. Not an irredeemable number, not an irredeemable matter, but a, but a serious matter. In the same way, this, this power to know the love of Christ is the grounding. The love of Christ, knowing the love of Christ, is the grounding for our spiritual maturity. The grounding of our spiritual maturity, therefore, is not information or data about God, but power to know the love of God and all that He is. That is not less than knowledge, of course, but it is more than simply knowledge. And so this power, this strength that God gives us, to go to the third point, please, uh, power, uh, strength within, strength to grasp, to understand, to know, and finally, power, strength to hope. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now isn't that just like the Apostle Paul, to conclude a deep theological exploration with worship, promises, and glory? It's perfect. I can just imagine Paul's readers getting a bit anxious at this point. Maybe you feel the same temptation to anxiety. That anxiety sounds like this. How exactly does this work? How can I do it? How can I grow? Is this thing really going to work? Right? So, I mean, if I'm, I'm following after Jesus. I'm wanting to love Him more. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to know Him more by prayer, by knowing His Word. But, and if I'm doing all that, am I going to find Him? My life feels like a string of spiritual failures, maybe. And Paul, like a good pastor, sets your eyes not on the certainty of your strength, but on the strength of the God who gives strength. I mean, basically what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, okay, okay, Christians. All all right, dear saints. Okay, church, here's how you pray. Okay, Here's an example of my prayers. Here's how you ask God for all you need. Wow, you need a lot. You have a lot of growing yet to do, don't you? Many of you are still but children in the faith. So therefore, seek 
the strength you need to know Christ, to know His love, to know all the fullness of Almighty God. You'll spend the rest of your life doing it. And with every heart in the room asking, how on earth is that going to happen? Paul says, all right, everyone, bow your heads, let's pray. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think according to the power at work within you. To Him be glory. Paul tells them what to ask for, right? To, to know the, the length, depth, width, so on, of the love of Christ. To know the fullness of God, which is so far beyond them. And then he fixes their eyes on the one who is far beyond what they can ask for. So, it's knowledge of this love, knowledge of the fullness of God, growing in it over time, finding my hope there. Is God big enough to give us this? And Paul's answer is, are you kidding? He's bigger than what you can even think of asking in the first place. Never mind that what you just asked for feels big. Go ahead and use your imagination to go bigger. He's beyond that too. Even bigger than what you can even begin to ask. Do you see what a revelation like that does for your heart? My prayer for you is that you're worshiping right now upon hearing that news. Paul sets their vision outside their comprehension. Contained within those last two verses, 20 and 21, is, if you will, the Christian's secret of hope. We gather, we worship, we lift up our doxologies together, right? This is why Paul says to them, uh, 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 to God be glory in the church, in the assembly, in the gathered body, because this power is at work within us. We tend to think that the key to Christian maturity is, again, to stack up our our, uh, information with books by ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with study. There's nothing wrong with private devotion. Make those New Year's resolutions. Get the Bible reading plan. Carve out the daily time. Do it. Absolutely do it. But the biblical reality is that God grows us together. As we worship together. As we pray together. As we sing together, as we feast together, as we laugh together, as we learn together, as we take counsel together, we grow together. So as I, as I conclude the sermon this morning, I, I want to remind you that a few months back, I told you that your elders were going through a book on prayer called uh, A Praying Church. It's by Paul Miller. It's it's been a really fruitful time for us to go through that book together. We've, we've learned from it. We've grown from it together. Uh, we've also critiqued it together. We've, we've identified some things in it that we, we, di- we, we, we didn't like or found unhelpful and, and felt free to discard those things. But overall, the book, I would say, has really helped us to prayerfully move forward to this conviction that we need to reinvigorate the gathered public prayer meeting. Now, we want to take seriously how we do it because all public prayer is teaching. We are right now considering how to, how to order and structure together a gathered prayer meeting so that it is a blessing to everyone. 
but we want to see that praying together becomes part of our life together because that's actually how God means to grow us up into maturity, namely together. There is a lot more uh, to say regarding prayer, more that I want to say and more that I want us to know, I mean, deep in our bones. I think that's kind of what Paul is talking about, that you would know. This is why one of our goals in the coming year is to revive the corporate prayer meeting. We are keeping in mind, by the way, that uh, perfection is always the enemy of the good. There, uh, the way we go about this probably won't be perfect. I promise. <laughs> but it will be good. It will be good. And so I want to encourage you, with, uh, finally, with, with the words in, uh, in that closing doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, there's the promise, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, y'all, throughout all generations, forever and ever. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so our Father, following after the example of our brother Paul, teach us to pray. Grant that we would be in prayer, that, uh, that we would know you, that we would know the love of Christ, that we would know the, the sheer magnitude of it, not, not have it mastered, but know more of it than we did last year. See more of it working in our hearts. See us growing together in love. And so, as we here at 4900 Jackson Street continue to grow together, we ask that you would give us grace and establish the work of our hands. Let Christ be formed in us in the only way it can be, by your word and by your Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.